God's power and His ability to keep promises is in no way dependent on my ability to grasp how He's going to do it. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey there. We've got Karen. Good morning. We've got Tracy. Morning. Hey, everybody. Hey, um, it occurred to me that this episode will post the weekend of Thanksgiving. And this has been kind of a sucky year. Things haven't been awesome, but I thought it might be a good exercise for us here briefly uh, before we get going. Just to take a moment to each of us try to come up with something that we are thankful for. You know, even even amidst a, a year of, I mean, there's been losses. There's been there's been a lot of ugly. It just it hasn't it hasn't been awesome. I mean, let's just be honest. But I think we can always find something to be thankful for. And I'll go first here. It's kind of odd, but in in some ways, I'm almost thankful for those losses that we've had this year. So the things that I have noticed things that people have depended on a lot in their lives, not depended on, but looked to, uh, have been kind of getting taken away. Like in my life, I'm a big movie movie fan. I love I love watching movies, and Hollywood has really kind of gotten crippled this year with COVID. Uh, there, you know, productions are shut down. The movie theaters are shut down. TV isn't coming up with new things to watch, and that's actually kind of been a positive I've, in my life that I've seen because it's given me one less distraction. Um, you know, I've seen things like sports. I think it seems like sports has kind of gotten taken away, which I'm not big on sports, but I know some people really are, and so it's but it's changed the whole dynamics of that. A lot of the things that have been distractions in people's lives, it seems, have been taken away and given more opportunity to focus on the things that are actually important. And I have found myself being very thankful for that. How about you guys? Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on things you're thankful for this year? We'll start with. Uh, I'll get. Uh, we'll start with Eric. Yeah, it's been a very, very difficult year—a year of a lot of losses, but. I think through it that I've seen, and I really appreciate going through this podcast because it's easy to read these Old Testament stories and think, oh, yeah, that was them. You know, God did X, Y, and Z for them. But, you know, I'm facing fill in the blank. and We're all facing stuff. And I, it's a, it is really, these stories have come alive to me in a way that they never have before. I've read it before many times, and I've read other books about them, and they're good. But kind of living closer to it and saying, well, what does faith really mean? Faith is a, is a theory until you're, you, the children of Israel backed up against the Red Sea. And then it's really real. Um, and I think that this this year and the things with it have really, I guess, clarified what what faith could real faith could look like. And I don't think we're there yet because we still have some things we depend on. I mean, there's some semblance of law and order, and you know, some semblance of of healthcare and and government, and all the things that are as broken as they are still exist. I mean, it's not completely crushed, but um, the idea that 
that faith in God and him doing real things in my life is real in a new way. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. It's, it's the future is unknown. I guess I used to think I had a bit better vision of what the future might be. And now I don't, I do that. I, that's the three words I have said more this year than maybe any other. I don't know. Mm. And being more at peace with that, it's still a struggle. Don't get me wrong, but it has definitely brought into focus for me what real faith is and given me an opportunity to do that while there still is some semblance of a floor to stand on. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's you, Karen. Well, <clears throat> I agreed with what what you said, Matt. I, I can see I have experienced the value of losing the sort of foregone conclusions of superficial entertainment and society and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I have been surprised how little that bothered me. Um, turned out I didn't need it in the slightest. So it's, that's a good sort of reprioritization or a refocus of like, what are my needs? What are my wants? And what are, what are my blind assumptions based on what I'm used to? Right. Cause there's probably, <laughs> there's probably some differences there. Um, I also agree with what Eric was saying. I have found myself personally completely untethered from my personal goals. Like, hey, you're an intelligent human being. Why don't you formulate what, your what you want your future to look like and then take steps toward that. And then no, right? And so, and this is, if anybody's known me for the last couple of years, you'll know that that's happened to me on a big scale. And now here in this year, it's happened again in one way that you guys know about and in another way that no, no one knows about. Uh, I have, I have lost the things that I thought that I had or that I almost had or that I had put a lot of time and effort into. And at the same time, that is incredibly frustrating. If it makes me lean wholeheartedly on God, is it actually a bad thing? The correct answer to that is no. That's not always the emotional answer. <laughs> Sometimes mm. the emotional answer is why? Why? Oh, you know, but the correct answer is no. Uh, I said something to my mother the other day because I've been praying. I've been praying a lot more this year, which is that's always a good thing. And um, so I, I heard something from God the other day that was that was interesting and vague enough to be completely frustrating. So I, I told my mom uh, just last night, actually, and she said, oh, so do you trust God or not? And I was like, oh, shut up. <laughs> trust him just fine. I just want him to act more like a crystal ball than a vague. Ugh. Anyway, it's been good. It's been good for my faith. So I'm grateful for that. On a more immediate scale, I am also grateful to have safe housing that meets my needs. And I am grateful to have a job that I enjoy every day and a good team of coworkers and actual job duties that I enjoy getting up and doing every day and that I can do from home or from the office. I, I have found tremendous value in my job this year. That's End of cool. speech. That's awesome. It is awesome. Isn't it? Doesn't it suck when parents, you know, show wisdom? 
<laughs> Tracy, how about you? You know, I would probably go down the same path that everybody else has gone down and, and say that I think what this has shown me this year is that I was kind of just gliding through. I was caught in just a routine of the day-to-day. And you know what? I think I lost track of a few things. And, and it's sad to say, but I think I lost track of my family in a way. We've been dealing with my my parents and getting them just reestablished because they're they're elderly right now. And it made me go back and think, you know, the times that maybe that I was in the movie theaters or I was watching sports or, you know, I was doing something, you know, at my house or my yard or, you know, going on vacation is the time I could have spent with my, my parents and, you know, going over there and moving them and seeing some of the things that they were going through that I had no idea because I think I, I just got caught up in maybe the world where now it has, you know, brought that focus back to, you know what? Family is is something that you you definitely need and that you can lean on, and especially too when they've always been like a pillar of your um, faith and understanding, and somebody to be a soundboard to what you're going through, and you know sometimes a voice of reason. Um, I think that same thing applies to just my everyday household. It's it's I'm thankful that it's really brought my family closer together communication with my spouse and my kids, you know, even though one's, you know, all the way across the the country, it still, you know, opened up those kind of avenues. Not that they were bad to begin with, but I think they just got a lot deeper and a a lot more heartfelt. And I think they've improved. Yeah. It sounds like we've all kind of tapped into the same thing there this year where we've recognized that, um, by fo- you know we've been talking about it a lot in the podcast too we'd recognize that by following god we have peace in these things and we re- realize that those superficial things don't matter so much we didn't we didn't need them in the in the first place and as they get taken away more and more i think we're going to find that we're happier maybe without them you know it's, we'll uh, check back in a year <laughs> well yeah you know yeah who knows? Who knows? But it just, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's, there's been a lot of priority shifts. And uh, I find that the people who have tried the hardest to struggle to hold on to what they had are the ones who are kind of the most miserable right now. And, um, you know, I feel bad for them. And I uh, wish I could uh, encourage them to just, you know, let things go. But I would also agree with one other thing Eric said, and that is that in in the current state of the world, reading through these old stories, it, it they 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 light up in a different way to me um like i can i can get i can get the immediate struggles a little bit more for whatever reason so i'm i'm connecting with the stories in the bible differently than i have when i've read it through before yeah yeah seeing a seeing a perspective that we never saw before for sure Okay, well, with that, let's get into our discussion then. We are continuing the book of Joshua this week. We're going to finish the book of Joshua. Uh, last last week, I believe, we were kind of witnessing the the end of the major battles that were needed to take over the land. And uh, we saw the way that God had worked for Israel and 
went ahead of Israel, cleared out the land. Israelites would kind of come in and, and clean up. And a lot of kings were defeated. A lot of cities were defeated and taken. We find, we find Israel now with this land, and they need to figure out what to do with it. So there's not a lot of fighting anymore, but, but they got to figure out what to do with that land now. The, the, the reading starts with what they call the Northern Conquest. There was like one last push by the kings of the area to try to keep Israel from coming in. And so this guy named, I think his name is Jabin, or probably Jabin, he's the king of Hazor. He gets all of the remaining kings to to unite, and the way the way the text uh, describes this is says that there were as many people as the sand that is on the seashore that came up against Israel. And I don't know about you, if if I were Israel, I wouldn't be too pleased with that. But God says to Joshua, "Don't be afraid," because He says, "I will deliver all of them slain before Israel." So. Uh, this is uh, this is not something to be worried, worried about. In fact, he says, I'm going to do this for you by this time tomorrow. So this huge army is coming up against Israel, and God's like, yeah, don't worry about it. By tomorrow, this is all going to be taken care of. The people in all the cities, it says, they got utterly destroyed, especially Hazor. Hazor specifically actually got burned, got burned down by Joshua. It was the only one that got burned by Joshua. Uh, the spoil and livestock, they got to go to Israel. Yeah, uh, I'm going to start something out, Matt. Yes, please. That a lot of the spoil and a lot of the conquest and a lot of the uh, livestock they got. But there's a notable exception. God <laughs> said, number one, you're going to take their chariots and you're going to burn them. Mm-hmm. You're going to make them unusable. And I believe, this is my hypothesis, that if, Israel all of a sudden had chariots, they would get to be thinking, hey, we have chariots. We have it made now. We can rely on ourselves. And God is cutting that off before they ever even get a chance. He says, nope, you're going to burn those so that you remember you rely on me. The same with the war horses. They're told not to kill the horses, but they're to make them so that they're useless for battle. I saw Tracy. Yeah, Yeah, Tracy. You know what? I was just going to bring that up, too, is when I was looking at it, I was looking and thinking back on the times that we had talked about these and what really separated some of the the feared armies, and it was the chariots. And if you look back at, like, Egypt, that's what separated them, and that was one of their, you know, uh, strongholds or go-to weapons was the use of the chariot, which kind of takes you off the, the hand-to-hand combat, makes you a little bit more mobile, can advance you a lot quicker. So, you know, I, I was thinking along the same lines as Eric is that you know what? They would have lost a little bit of faith in God having the chariots and the horses that they were conquering from all these different places. And, you know, could that have driven a wedge between them and God? It's possible where, you know what, they weren't going to rely on him or trust him as much. So he said, you don't need that stuff. You just need me. Hmm. It's good. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, when you when I think back to, you know, history class when I was a kid and stuff, I remember hearing how how much the chariot had advanced, you know, warfare as a piece of technology that they had and really gave people a, a, a hand up or, a, yeah, you know, a, a real advantage over over their enemies. So I hadn't, I hadn't put that together. That's, uh, yeah, that is interesting because I had noticed that they were told to burn them. I just, I didn't put the two together. So that's, that's, that's good. 
you know, in, in our readings too, I, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I kind of lost track of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because by the time I was, we got towards the end, it was like, okay, now Joshua was old and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that didn't seem like that long, but it, it was years mm-hmm. just for, um, for Hazor, they fought for years, several years. Hmm. So there's a place where it says, I don't remember where it was. Um, oh, it's at the end of chapter 11, the very last verse. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war, right? So I've got this other Bible and it's, it's written in the King James, so I don't actually read the text of it very much, but it's got a timeline down the center column of what, you know, sort of Bible scholars best guess. And they it basically reads like Israel fought for five years when they first came into the country. Five years. Hmm. thought that was you interesting. Know, yeah, I thought I had picked that up somewhere in the reading this week, too, and I don't remember where. It was but a yeah. while, anyways, that they yeah. were... It wasn't forever, but it was it was a while because when they sent back the southern tribes that had they said, Okay, now you can go back, you fought with us and now we've got the land. It it had been a while. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, when I was first reading through this and it said that that the very next day God was gonna deliver them, it you know, at first I thought, Oh, this is you know, this is a one and done and and uh you know, they're gonna have you know, happy times for a while, but you know, that was just kind of like the major battles. They still had, they still had things that they needed to take care of and keep pushing, uh, to really, to really possess the land. I mean, they got the land, but God had commanded them. You need to get, you need to get these other influences out. Mm-hmm. And so they still had, they still had some battles ahead of them, but like the big major war was, was, it seems like it was basically done at this point. Yeah, there were holdouts at the, yeah. end, at the end of 11. In 22, there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod. And we see a uh, Anakim. These are the very tall giants. We see them show up in 1 Samuel 17.4. There's a very famous giant from Gath. His name was Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> A few of these little pockets of um, people left here and there, and it's interesting. Every basically every time we see them here, where they say, "Well, they cleared out everybody except for these people," those people show up again in the history of Israel, and it's never in a good way. Mm-hmm. We're given a little, like a little brief uh, rundown of who conquered who. We're reminded that. Moses had conquered Sihon and Og. When we say Moses, it's not like Moses went in, strapped on a sword, and did it. But you know, it was under his under his command that it happened. And then when Joshua took control, he ended up conquering said thirty one different kings. We get a whole list of kings and cities and and stuff there. And if you want to, if you want to, uh, you know, study that that history, you can go in there in chapter twelve and. And read all about that. But uh, it's quite a bit. I mean, 31 different cities, 31 different kings that he went in and, and conquered. That's quite a bit. Yeah, that's chapter 12. Yeah. Moses yeah. takes <laughs> out two of the big ones. Joshua takes 31. 
And that's the thing that we've got to keep in mind. We're not there quite yet, but as we get into our Bible readings further, is that the timeline will start to skip because there's various books that cover the same history, and sometimes the same book essentially does flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Chapter 13, verse 1 just makes me chuckle, just the way it's written. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. <laughs> <laughs> just, me, just the way it, the way that was written. Thanks for driving like, that home. <laughs> yep, you, yep, yeah, you are, you are old. Thanks, 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 Lord. Thanks for showing me that. But we still have some of the land of the Philistines and the Geshurites, or is it Geshurites? Uh, you tell me, but uh, they still need to be conquered. But we've got land that needs to be divided. And Joshua kind of, he changes hats here, and he stops being so much the general and starts becoming more the real estate agent. And he starts to uh, parse out this land to to the Israelites. Now remember that Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh had... They had gotten their inheritance on the, well, my notes, I wrote my notes wrong. They were on the east side of the Jordan. And, but there was still everything that was now on the west side that needed to get, uh, get assigned. Uh, it tells us that the Gesh, the, man, I don't know how to pronounce it, Jeshurites and the Maacathites, they hadn't been driven out yet. And once again, we're reminded that Levi was not going to get a specific inheritance in all of this. So there's a breakdown then of who got what. And, you know, if you're really interested in that, you can go through it and, and read all of that and see who got what cities and what parcels of land. Uh, or Karen if you're shared. And you just want a visual, you can just go look up a map. Because <laughs> yeah, I, just... I, was, I was so, like, I was trying to visualize it. And I'm like, do I look up this river? Do I look up, how do I find this border? And then I was like, Come on, Karen, if you're thinking of it, somebody way smarter than you has surely thought of this before. So I yeah. just was like, dear Google. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard to read it. And I mean, if you don't know the area, I mean, if, you know, if somebody said, you know, the Reubenites took southeastern Colorado, I would have a pretty good idea what they were talking about. But, I, you know, I've never been to the Holy Land. I, you know, I have no real idea of what's there beyond, you know, Jerusalem and Bethlehem and other little things that you hear about, you know, the Sea of Galilee, things like that. But I don't have any concept in my head really of where they are. So you can look up a map and, and Karen shared a map with the group uh, last night, texted it to us. And I think I'll probably put that on our Facebook page because it, it gave, gave a great, a great visual. And you got to see who got what, where everything was. It changed some perspective in my mind I was really amazed at at um, how much land Manasseh got. You remember that they split in half, and half of them stayed on the east side of the Jordan. The other half stayed on the west side of the Jordan, and they got a lot of land. They must have been just a huge tribe. It really made sense then why they would maybe split up like that. You know, I think, too, it's hard to get that perspective. And when I looked at Karen's map last night, what stuck out with me the most was Simeon. How do you drop something in the middle of something? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, because, you know, usually you go with, you know, certain kind of geographical divides and how it gets split up. And it's, you know, 
But this is literally in the middle of... of yeah, right like, in the middle of Judah. Right in the middle. And you it's know, round. It's, like, how are you supposed to round. put up a corner post anywhere? It's round. Uh, it's round. It's like, wow, okay, that, you know... Maybe you it know, just along so well, it was never an issue. But, you know, I always think of, you know, lands and people have issues with that and and have something round would be hard to maintain. Yeah, yeah and the thing that kind of struck me, too, is, yeah, they were given this land and they were still going to be required to kind of clear it out. Uh, but, like yeah, like you say, something like Simeon, where they're right in the middle. Well, a lot of these, though, they're kind of just tucked in between things. They don't have a lot of room. I don't have any room for expansion under that under that in that case. Just, but yeah, it's interesting the, the kind of way they 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 move things out and and uh, how some tribes got little bits and other tribes got got a lot. But yeah, that Manasseh that really struck me how much how much they got. Now I don't know that there's that we've um, covered it in the in the text here, because I don't remember where it was, because we covered a lot. We covered <clears throat> chapters 11 through 24, so there's a lot to read. But Caleb sent out a delegation of some of the leaders, I, I want to say it was three from every tribe, and they basically went out as a survey team. And they surveyed a bunch, a bunch of areas, and they said, okay, come back and divide it. Oh, I know, it's in chapter 18. And they were to divide all of this by... From what I've studied in my real estate classes, it would be called meets and bounds. So instead of like, well, we go to the 38th parallel or this meridian and we go, you know, using the GPS, they didn't do that. They're like, okay, from this big rock, you <laughs> go, you know, a thousand steps to the big tree and then you go north and then you, that's how they did this. Because if you read the text here in Joshua, that's what it is. You go from this geographical feature to that geographical feature and that's what it was. I mean, here you'd say, well, it's a little bit north of 10th Street, but, you know, East of 47th Avenue. Like, well, okay, we know where that's at. But they they use different things. So what essentially he did is Caleb, in skipping ahead in chapter 18, sent out this crew and said, you divide the land into sections. And God will choose who gets which section. And with mm -hmm. my kids, like let's suppose um, occasionally my wife will come back from work and um, she'll bring a donut from work because they'll have them out and she'll bring one home for the kids. And this is something my parents did and something, a tradition I've continued. And that is this, I don't want to divide that donut for the kids. Cause they are going to be like, you got the bigger piece. That's not, it's like, Oh boy, I don't want that. So what we do is one of the kids divides the donut and the other kid gets to choose which one they want. Yep. <laughs> you never saw such care. It was like surgery, like brain surgery, cutting that donut in half because the one cutting in half does not want to accidentally give too much to the other one. And so Joshua has these people divide the thing, and then God says, okay, I believe it was by lot, who gets what? And what's really interesting is even though we, when we look at that map that Karen sent last night, thank you, Karen, that helped me get a very much more clear picture in my head, literally, I don't recall ever hearing them argue or fight about... The land. Judah comes, and I think it was Judah, and they said, hey, I wish we'd gotten more because we're a, we're a big... Uh, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was the people of Joseph came. That's also in, that's in 17. Yeah. And they say, was, yeah. essentially, with that exception, we'll get to that when we get to that. But basically, with that one exception that was handled, 
by Joshua, they, they accepted what they got. And we don't hear a lot of warfare specifically about, we want your land. Now, northern Israel and southern Israel became two kingdoms later and they fought each other. But that didn't really have anything to do with the allotment of land. That had to do with ideological differences and stuff like that later. But anyways, that was very interesting because if you had 12 kids and you tried to divide everything up, mm-hmm. you just expect there to be pretty massive problems. And it was a, kind of different. Yeah, I actually thought of that exact same thing because that's how I, that's how my kids would do. That's how I had my kids do things when they were little. Well, we're, we're going to split this. Okay, well, you, one of you cuts it in half and then the other one gets to choose. So you pick who's doing which and then, and then that's that. And oh my goodness, you've never seen such fairness in your life. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, in all this, div- this div- or, yeah, division of the land, there are a couple of, uh, little except not exceptions, but uh, specific parcels that get given out. One of them, Caleb gets to gets specifically, and Joshua fourteen. It tells us that he was forty years old when Israel first spied out this land, and now it's forty five years later. So now he's eighty five years old. That gives us sort of a little mental timeline there too. And he is well. There's given, your five years too. You said earlier that yeah. you had heard that five year number. There's your five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I had inferred it more than just specifically read it. But yeah, so you have this uh, this five years here now, and he was given specifically Hebron, and that was kind of that was a little piece of Judah that he got. Actually, he ended up with Hebron and Debir because Joshua 15 tells us that he he got another another city too. Also, I could just picture an 85-year-old man arguing his, like, you know, stamina and vitality. (laughs) I am just as strong as I ever was. As I was when I was less than half my current age. Yeah. You you whippersnappers, I'll take on all of you. Well, that's (laughs) an amazing thing that he really did, which is... yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a number of interesting things here. In, in verse 8, we're in chapter 14, in verse 8, he's, he gets what he was promised. Because yeah. he was promised this a long time ago. And specifically, the words are, actually it's 9, I'm sorry. It's chapter 14, verse 9. And Moses swore that on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed my God. And he gives credit to God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. And then he says, you know, hey, look, I'm 85. And it should not be without mention that the land that he wants is the land of the giants in the mountains. Like, he doesn't pick the, the puff kind of pushover part that's already been conquered. He says, oh, yeah, that part that you guys were a little bit too afraid to do. And it skips ahead into chapter 15. Verse 14, and Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. I mean, like, these were, like, the biggest human beings of the time. (laughs) And they're warriors. He's 85 years old, and he goes in and kicks booty. He's presumably normal size, and yet he takes out all of their kneecaps. Yes, and it is, and it says over and over, you just look through chapter 14, and you'll see this phrase, because he wholly followed the Lord. Yeah, that was interesting that he specifically took the land that before freaked out the other, uh, what, not or 10, the ten. other 10. He's like, no, I'll take that. Yeah, so what Matt's talking about is, remember, 45 years ago, 
they send in 12 spies to the uh, to the land, to the promised land, and 10 of them came back and said, there's no way we can do it. It's impossible. It's horrible. The people are giants and we're just grasshoppers. We, you know, we're going to die in the desert, which God said, well, okay, then you can. (laughs) And Caleb and Joshua, who said, no, 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 we can do this. They got to do it. And so here's, here's Caleb and Joshua taking what they said they could take 45 years Earlier, they said we could. 45 years later, they actually do it. And, you know, that's another, once again, the faith that, you know, God is true to his word. Yeah, there's some cool stuff about that in here. Unfortunately, though, it does say that in the land of Judah, that the Jebusites were not completely driven out. We were, you yep. mentioned that earlier, how, yep. how these people uh, became a thorn, just like God said they would. They didn't quite get them all out. Uh, Joshua 16 goes on and talks about the land given to Ephraim and what I'm calling West Manasseh. So that that's that's described. It is pointed out that the Canaanites were not driven from the area of Gezer. Gezer. Mm-hmm. Chapter, that's verse 10. Yeah, that, that was a short chapter. Not a lot there. I did find Josh- something, though. We were talking about uh, Manasseh and why he got so much land. Based on just on the size of the tribe, that's why they were given the double portion of land, the superior numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why they demanded a double portion of the land. If I remember correctly, when they left Egypt, they were one of the smaller groups of people, but then they were growing very, very rapidly. I think, gosh, it seems like Judah was the biggest. I don't know, but it seems like Manasseh was just growing really quickly, which we kind of run into again a little bit later where they come to Joshua and they're like, hey, we, we don't have room. Like, we don't have room. It, yeah, it would make, well, hmm. I was going to say it would make sense they were smaller, but I was I was mixing stories there because these are the children of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't. So, yeah, to that point, we, you know, we'll skip ahead. Are we ready to go to 17? Yes. Let's go right, to 17. So 17 yeah. Basically, we have a promise in Numbers 27, and go back and read that, that that promise that it's it's in verse 4, then they approach, this is interesting, we've got these three girls, or how many, it's not three, it's um, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five daughters, who we remember in Numbers 27, they said, hey, look, our father didn't have any sons, and mm-hmm. if you go the regular patriarchal way, our name, our father's name will disappear because he had five girls. Remember, they went to Moses and said, hey, we we want land too. Moses said, I don't know. This sounds crazy in the world for women to have inheritance. He asked God and God's like, yeah, they should have it. Mm-hmm. And they all said, oh, OK, I guess so when we get there, you'll get it. And so now these five girls, women, show up to Joshua and said, hey, do you remember the promise to Moses? We get land. And Joshua's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, you're going to get the land. So it's another one of those promises made, you know, a whole book ago in Numbers 27, and now it's kept. There was a lot less uh, question about whether this would happen now, too. Yeah, because, it wasn't questioned. It was just like, okay, yeah. now it's time to do the thing. Yeah, and it totally makes sense to do this now, too, because you remember when they first went to Moses and said, we need this, Moses goes, uh, what? You know, and now now it's just like, well, yes, this has been established that that uh, the women of a man 
the, the <laughs> I can I really can speak, people. English is my first language. The daughters of a man who did not have any sons would be appointed land, whereas before it was just not even considered. And and here they were just they're just given it. I wasn't there's sure a, that this was a, the. There was a caveat, though, wasn't it? Like they had to marry within their tribe in order to keep that. Yeah, yeah. They, to their tribe. That was their whole argument: is if we yeah. dis, we do this, then the land that my father's family would have gotten will disappear out of our family's clan. Mm-hmm. So, but were these the same? These weren't the same women, though, because the other women were were talking to to um, Moses, and these are talking to. And I was thinking that was three daughters, and now no, this is this is them. Okay, because okay. he says it says the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our relatives. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they're the daughters of Zelophad. They're the same ones in, in as in Numbers twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah, I should have gone back and checked. Mahal and Noah, Halga, Milka, and Tizra. Anyways, it's okay, Matt. Okay. The Bible's still right, even if you don't double check it. It's oh, I know. <laughs> Okay, so in 1713, there's an interesting line. It says, Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So when they felt like, we got this, we're stronger than you guys. So instead of doing what we were actually told to do, we're going to just do it the way we want to do it. Yeah. Turns out badly. Like it always has. Like it always has. Yeah. So skipping ahead to the end of 17, there's an interesting thing. The people of Joseph in uh, verse 14 said, hey, you know, we've only gotten one piece of land and we're prosperous and numerous and we want to go, you know, we need more land. And that's a little inside thing here is that Joshua is also the people of Joseph. So they're coming to him and saying, hey, come on, you're one of us. Like we, we deserve more. And what's really interesting is that they they do need and want more. And he says, okay, well, you can have this other land. And I believe it's the land on the west side of the Jordan that he offers them. And they say, well, yeah, but there's, I mean, come on, we, there's, there's, there's mountains there. And there's, there's, uh, there's people with chariots of iron. And he's like, oh, I get it. So the reason you don't want that land is because you have to work for it. Mm-hmm. Because in 16... It's like, so you just told me there's a lot of you. Well, then go, go, go get it. You know, you're like, oh, we want land. He's like, there's land there. You just have to go clear it off. And if there's a lot of you, like you just said, the reason why you need so much is, okay, then go put all your, a lot of people to work and chase out the people who are supposed to be chased out and settle the land. And then like, that's it. We just kind of, we don't hear more about that later. Yeah, that was interesting. I had, yeah, picked up on that too, where it was like, well, we just, you know, we just want to have it. We don't want to, we don't want to work for it. (laughs) I loved how it was like parenting. I loved how when they came to Joshua, their reason for asking is like, we're so numerous. And so he says to them, well, if you are so numerous, then go do this. And then, Mm. and then he tells them again, you are numerous and very powerful. Go do this. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, take that line you gave me. Yeah, Yeah, nobody's stopping you. Go ahead. Well, moving into chapter 18, uh, the tabernacle gets set up in an area called Shiloh. 
Yet there's still, I guess there were still seven tribes that hadn't quite gotten their, their land yet. And this is where the men were sent out to survey. Lots were cast to divide the land. Yeah, so they were surveyed. Like you said, the, the area was divided. And then the lots were cast to see who would get what. I read something really cool about Shiloh. Because Gilgal was actually the, the headquarters of, of all Israel. And that's initially where they had set up the tabernacle, but they wanted something that was more, I guess, easily accessible to all Israel. So it w- they looked at it like geographically, and it was the easiest point of access for all the tribes was Shiloh. So that's where they went and set up the the the, the temple or the tabernacle there. But the ark stayed there for three hundred years until the sins of Eli's house drove it to have to be placed somewhere else. Did anybody happen to notice on that map where Shiloh is? It's I'm in looking. Ephraim's. It's like directly in the middle. Okay. Ephraim. So look in, look in the... Oh, yeah. The oh, green, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yes. yellow part, Ephraim, right where Dan is and Benjamin, it's right in the middle towards the center. So it is. It's like in the center. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense that that's where they would set that up then so that it would be accessible to everybody. So in, 20, in 19, I find it very interesting in Joshua 19.49 that this is where, well, I'll just read it real quick here. 19.49, when they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, which is totally backwards of the way we would do it now, which is the leader would be like, okay, I pick first. I get the best and everybody else gets to get the crumbs is that all this land has been divided out and people get what they want. Even Caleb gets to pick where he wants to go. And Joshua asks basically for a, a town. I think you know, he gets Timnath Sirach and he asks for that and he settles there. So he, as a leader was willing to, you know, basically go last. There's another thing there in Joshua or in chapter 19 that stood out to me. It was talking about how Dan extended their border because they went up against Lashem, I think, with how you would say it. I'm looking at that map, and that's interesting that they would be able to expand because they're they're kind of stuck right there between Judah and Ephraim. So I wonder if they expanded into one of the other tribes area, or or just what. But I saw the contrast there between them and and Ephraim. So I wonder if they I wonder if they expand a little bit into Ephraim's land when Ephraim was uh, unwilling to to work for that. You know. Well, when the <clears throat> when the scribes went out to survey, it says they surveyed and they wrote the description in seven parts. So there was this was a well recorded delineation right so Mm -hmm. i would guess that what actually happened since they hadn't driven everybody out is that they moved into this area but the area wasn't clear yet and they had to finish clearing it of their predecessors that would be my guess i think karen's right because if we look at this map here and then we look at the we listen to the stories later of israel battling folks they did not end up possessing all of this now, they were supposed to, yeah. and somewhere in here, and I don't recall 
where it was, but basically God said, look, you've done this. I'm going to drive the rest of them out. And he says with hornets so that I'll just, I'll finish the job for you. But they weren't ready to take it. They didn't do the stuff that they were supposed to do, all of it. And I'm not going to say it was easy, but they didn't do the work that they were supposed to do. And so they never actually completely possessed all of this land that they were supposed to, because there are these little exceptions of, well, they they took this over except for this and this. And we see that the little this and this, those people groups, those cities, grow and grow and grow and become a thorn in their side. In fact, it says, oh man, I wish I could find exactly where it was. It says they'll become a thorn in your eye. And we see that actually happened to Samson later. Like literally that people that here in Joshua, it's prophesied, that um, these people are going to be a problem to you later if you don't deal with them now, literally become that thing later. A problem. So I don't think they took over all this land. This was the land they were supposed to take over. Didn't quite do it, though. Didn't finish it. Then 20, we got cities of refuge. Yeah, yeah now we've talked about the cities of refuge before, but we get a yep. little more details put onto it here. And specifically, these were cities that had been given to the Levites. Now, the Levites, you know, they didn't get huge portions of land, but they were given cities within those portions of land to be theirs. They'd get, I think, I think we talked about this last week. They would, they got the cities and the common land around them because they had their their uh, their livestock and stuff that needed to be taken care of. But if a, so, so the little recap of this would be then that. If somebody accidentally killed someone, they could run to one of these cities of refuge and they would be safe from, oh, how did, what was it called? The Avenger of Blood, which essentially meant yeah. that somebody in the family of the person who died, they basically was within their rights to avenge their family member. But if this was a case of manslaughter or accidental killing, there was a way uh, for the person who did that to to find some refuge to to um, to be safe from that person from that avenger. So they would go to this city, and this is where it, it describes things a little bit more. They would come to the city, and they would have to declare their case to the elders of the city. So it's not like they could just run into the city and you know scream sanctuary and be and be good. You know, they would have to come and and basically request asylum more or less. Mm -hmm. And if it was trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it was deemed that they were innocent, then they could stay in that city until the death of the high priest. And that Avenger of blood could not, could not come after them. Uh, If they were, if they were deemed guilty, then they were handed right over to, to that uh, Avenger. But that was a one-sided trial. It's, I mean, it was like them, them stating their case, right? It wasn't like a full investigation, was it? I didn't get no, the impression. No, I think it was. I got the impression really? it was that if somebody was actually guilty of man's, uh, I don't know, you're the legal person, murder. I would say that because that's pretty clear. Right. Right. If they murdered somebody else, if this was an intentional act, there was no sanctuary, period. Okay. It's just like, you can't come here. But if it was judged to be an accidental death they were allowed to stay there like matt said until the until the death of the high priest and man you think about that it's like 
a high priest, we've got some stories later on, they could live a long time. Mm-hmm. And so it, would, it wouldn't be kind of like, ah, I could be careless because pff, worst case scenario, I go to the, you know, to the city of refuge and, you know, every New Year's it's clock reset. So I'll just, it wasn't like that. It's like, man, you better be careful because even if you get spared and you have to live in the city of refuge, you might live there a pretty long time. But correct me. If- I remembered. I remembered that there were six, three on the east side of the river and three on the west side of the river. And did you guys see on that map I sent that they were marked? I didn't notice that. But do you guys remember any yeah. stories later in the New Testament where they actually, like, anybody used these in the New Testament? No, no, no. I'm sorry. In the Old Testament, if I said New Testament, do you do you remember any? Any stories of when they were like, oh, and this person accidentally killed this person, and then they ran to the city of refuge. Do you remember that actually happening? I don't remember ever reading about that. It's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like the uh, the years of Jubilee, the, the, uh, the every seventh yeah. year and then every 49th year. It was like, I remember reading how it was supposed to be, but I don't recall it actually happening. Yeah, because we had made our... A reference is like, man, there's a lot of cities. There must have been a lot of murders or whatever, but I don't remember anything happening. If you look at how they're spaced out on the map, it's north, central, south, north, central, south on either side of the river, up and down the spread of the what is now the Israelite land. So it might have been more a spacing thing than... than, uh, Somebody was coming after you, you you definitely want some options and figure which one is closer. (laughs) Yeah, they're there. It's interesting. Yeah, and I was reading somewhere else, too, that these cities would be clearly marked with signage, you know, with the word refuge. There would really be no question. You'd know exactly where you could go. Uh, I was reading, too, this, it kind of got pointed out to me that these cities were a symbol of Christ. Now, the people, of course, they wouldn't have seen that at the time, but as being a place where, you know, in that they were a place where you could go for safety and as long as you stayed in there you were safe Mm. you couldn't you couldn't do this flippantly you couldn't run in and out and in and out and in and out and think that you were going to be safe you had to go there you had to stay there and so this becomes a symbol of christ uh if we look at this in hindsight to where we are safe so long as we as we stick with, with jesus Trying to play both sides of it and run in and out and run in and out is not the way to salvation. It's by clinging to him, as as uh, Eric has pointed out a lot of times, holding fast. You really have to want it. You have to be serious about it. you got to really stick with it. Yeah, that's a really cool, interesting. I didn't notice that parallel in that way because you're right. I mean, for, for those of you who joined this maybe later in the podcast, earlier we talked about how these cities of refuge were supposed to work. And literally, you had to stay in the city. If if you just went out and wandered around, you're like, eh, whatever. If that avenger of family found you outside of that city, it was their right to to kill the other person to avenge their blood. So you, if you were in this city, and this is another interesting parallel to what you said, Matt, is that this wasn't for people who didn't do anything. They actually had done something bad you know something even though it was accidental they had actually literally done something yeah and so this wasn't for people who just were 
innocent and then they just felt like oh well like, these people were really guilty and they actually really received real grace and it would it, we need to mention too that in in 20 verse 9 it said these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the sojourner stra- the stranger sojourning among them so that this wasn't just for the Israelites this was for people maybe who who had been left in the land who hadn't been displaced yet, or people who are journeying through the land, sojourners, so to speak, is that this grace was available to everybody. It wasn't a nationalistic thing. Yeah, that's important. Well, and that plays into the whole symbol of Christ, too, because it's that, yes. available to anybody who will anybody who will come. Yes. You know? Chapter 21, it talks about the cities given to the Levites, and it, but it ends, and this is the part that was the most interesting to me of chapter 21, but it ends talking about how None of their enemies had stood against them, and that God had been so faithful, says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. This is important because later on, not only are you going to, are the promises fulfilled, but if you don't hold up to your end of the deal, uh, you can be rest assured that the curses will follow. Yeah, that's some of the, and that's in twenty one, forty five, and I, I think that's, oh man, I just love that uh, verse. That was such a, a source of strength. Such as its promises kept. That's the bottom line here. Not a, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. I mean, that's a pretty good bat. That's batting a thousand, like every season. It's like you just. You, you never strike out. It's just amazing that, that that was when God promised it. And that's, this is one of the things that I look at all, one of, earlier, Matt, you asked, what am I thankful for? And this is one of those things is that some of the things that God has promised for our future are amazing and they seem unbelievable. They really do. I mean, you read about the new creation in Isaiah and in Revelation and so on. We look around in today's world, and it's like, I do not see how that's going to happen. I don't see that in any kind of naturalistic sort of way that that's going to, that that's going to happen. You know, there are some who will say, well, you know, God used the processes of evolution over millions and millions of years, and the strong crushed the weak, and, you know, just the most selfish survived is, is actually opposite everything that we see revealed in God's character. But they'll say, oh, and that's how, that's how God's going to recreate everything. I'm like, so we got to wait another millions and billions of years? But that's not at all what Revelation and, you know, and Thessalonians has to say about his second coming. It's like he's going to come and he's going to do this and it's going to happen. Bam. And I look at this in Joshua because I can look forward and I can say, how can that possibly be? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I can't see how that would happen. And if there's anything, that I've gotten through this, the whole Genesis, Exodus, you know, the the whole thing is that God's power and his ability to keep promises is in no way dependent on my ability to grasp how he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, when he says, I'm going to do this thing, well, maybe he does it with hail. Maybe he does it by the earth opening up. Maybe he parts the sea. Maybe he stops the, the, uh, 
the Jordan River. Maybe he makes the walls fall down. I, I don't know. Maybe he sends hornets. And I guess I can look at 2020 and go, wow, who would have thought that an invisible virus would do what it's done? Whatever angle you want to take on the thing, it has been... It has been a thing that's like, wow, didn't really see that thing coming like it did and playing out like it did. And God has ways to keep his promises. A, a friend of mine was telling the story of Jonah. And he said, you know, Jonah's running away and he's God needs to get him back on track. And I love this phrase. He said, so God reached into his pocket and pulled out the whale option. Like, how how awesome is that? It's like, we don't have that option in our pocket. You know, okay, call it a fish, not a whale. But it's like, God is not limited in his ability to keep his promises. And that's why when I look forward and I say, that looks impossible. I can look backwards in Joshua and say, well, but God has a history of doing the impossible in a way that's completely unexpected. And so can I trust him for the future because he has been faithful in the past. Well, the next chapter, 22, talks about the eastern tribes returning to their lands. So those those three tribes, the was it Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, before everybody had crossed the Jordan and taken Jericho, they had said, we like it right here, we're going to keep this. And so they were they were released then to go back over to their lands. But Joshua had a little bit of concern there, and he reminds them, remember to keep the commandments of God. Remember to walk in his ways, hold fast, serve him. You know, just a reminder, you guys are gonna be over there. You're gonna be you're gonna be divided from the rest of us. Don't forget, don't forget who got you here. Don't forget, don't forget to to stay loyal to God. And this comes into play because in the very next chapter, a misunderstanding happens mm-hmm. where those three tribes, they put up an altar and the tribes on the west side catch wind of, wind of this thing and they're ready to go to war because they think that those tribes on the other side are starting up their own means of religion and sacrifice and stuff separate from what had been established by God. Because like we just talked about, the uh, the tabernacle, meaning that the Ark of the Covenant and the, the uh, sacrificial altar had been put up in Shiloh. And this is where all of these kind of things were supposed to happen. This is where your sacrifice was supposed to happen. This is where uh, this was meant to be the central area for for worship, I guess. And when these guys put up their own altar on the other side, those guys on the west side go, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. We're not going to allow this. And they're they're literally gearing up, ready to go to war. But fortunately, there's some sensibility that happens, and they send some, I guess, dignitaries over no. there. Be like, hey, what's so what's up with this? And those guys go, whoa, 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 no, wait, no, this is not... This altar is not for sacrifice. And you'd be like, well, what in the world is an altar for if you're not going to be sacrificing on it? Like, no, this is basically, this is going to be a symbol so that you guys don't forget in the years to come that we all have a connection. So we've made this this replica 
it's it's here to be a reminder to everybody that we are part of you guys. And so it was this, uh, it was kind of this, I don't know, in hindsight, maybe not humorous, maybe almost tragic, but a situation where people made assumptions and jumped, started jumping to conclusions where what happened was actually more of a, it was more like a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a little misunderstanding where the intentions of the thing were to remain united and people jumped to conclusions and immediately thought that that this division was happening when it really wasn't. Yep. The verse 12 uh, kind of cracked me up. The whole the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see this in, in our society right now is it's we see something that somebody else does. You, you pick a pick a thing. And there's another whole group of people who think that's the worst possible thing you could do, and they're ready to go to war. I hate you, blah, 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 blah. And we don't really know the motives. We don't know what's actually going on. Now, there are some things that are done that are wrong. There are. But too often, I think, ready to jump to a conclusion based on a pretty limited piece of information. And this story of fact-checking, and diplomacy. And this is the part that I really like, is that the delegation from Western Israel goes with their assumptions, but then they listen, and then they change their mind. Like, what? Wait, say that again. That seems important. I know. It's, <laughs> it's like, a, can this happen? And <laughs> it is they listened, and then they changed their mind. They said, oh, the assumptions we had were wrong. We will change our position on this, which it just, if it can't happen now, at least it happened thousands of years ago. So <laughs> anyways, it's a neat story. It turned out well, but it could have turned out very badly. You know, I was thinking about that and just our, our current state um, in our country. And I think this speaks volumes to, and sometimes we jump to conclusions without really getting all the facts and the data together. And I think this goes, speaks volumes to, you know what, sometimes you just need to be slow to anger and quick to, to listen. You know, I think there's, there's a little bit of, uh, well, there's a lot of truth to that old proverb that that's the reason you have two ears and one mouth that you need to take double time to, to listen to what's going on and seeing, you know, um, taking all those facts in to make a good decision. And this is it. This is it perfectly that. You know what? They were ready to go to war. And, you know, I can just imagine them sitting in there with, you know, the delegates in front and the vast army in the back saying, OK, what goes what's what's going on here, guys? You know, and then at the end, waving everybody off and going, hey, you know, total misunderstanding. We're still, you know, one country, multiple tribes under God. Let's celebrate. Now, a good part of this, though, is that we saw that Israel had learned some lessons from things in the past when people had started to turn away from God and do things because they like don't you know don't don't forget the what they called the iniquity of Peor, yeah. And God, you know, God will be angry with everybody with all of Israel if you guys do that. Yeah, it was real. And, and so that's one positive that came out of this thing was that that we can see that Israel had had learned a lesson in the past and they weren't. At least at this point, they weren't ready to let that happen again. But, yep, got to slow your roll before you uh, go to guns. The altar was even, they called that altar witness, basically. 
so you know this is just that, that altar the whole point of that altar was to say hey don't forget we are all together and uh it just got taken the wrong way Joshua 23 Joshua he's beginning a farewell address he knows his he's got he's getting old and he's not going to be there forever and he calls leaders to him and he reminds them that God has kept his promise this land has been divided between the tribes and verse 6 it said be courageous to keep and do what's in the book of the law of Moses i thought that was an interesting phrase an interesting way to put that be courageous to do this don't don't be afraid to follow these ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good phrase for us to remember today. Be courageous. We live in a time when following the ways of God are not necessarily popular. And it takes a bit of courage on our part to be willing to stand up and show that we are living to a different standard than the society around us. So be courageous. I really liked that. Um, you know what I thought too, positive is that he took a good page from what exactly what Moses did is, you know what? He took him down um, in the supplemental reading that I was doing. He once again took him down the road of where they came from, what they've had to overcome, how God has prevailed for them and how they need to cling to what, you know, the laws that were given to them. And, but I, I saw this as, you know, that's just a sign of a good leader is that, you know what, Moses was his leader, mentor, and he kind of did the same thing, bringing everybody together and saying, look, this is what, what, what we've done and what we need to do, and you need to continue this. Even when I'm gone, you need to continue this. Or the blessings don't come and, the, you know, the fall can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about how... You know, make sure you don't fall into the ways of these other nations. He talks about how they will, if you do that, he says, God will no longer drive them out for you. And yeah, he says no for certain in verse in verse 13. No for certain mm-hmm. that the Lord your God will. It's like not like, well, maybe. Oh, and that's this is the part that I referenced earlier, but I didn't know exactly where it was. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you. A whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Yeah, none of that sounds fun. Nope. But it doesn't have to be that way because, again, he skips He skips forward to, to uh, verse 14. And he's like, yeah, now I'm about to go the way everybody else does and I'm um, going to die. And he says again, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Mm-hmm. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. That's that's a pretty good track record. Yeah, and verse 15 is just as important because it says, just as all the good things have come upon you, uh, it says, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from his good land, which the Lord your God has given you. So if you, know, if you don't stick with this, you can be assured that, that, the, that the, the curses will come. Just as much as God promised you his help if you stay with him, if you don't go with him, he has also promised you he won't be there. And and these things, uh, they will consume you and destroy you. So the last chapter here, chapter 24, is interesting. Verse 2, 
I hadn't really considered this. It talks about how Abraham's ancestors had been worshippers of other gods. I guess it had just been in my mind that there had just been this, I'm going to use the word remnant that will come up, you know, eventually when we get down into um, Revelation, which is a ways away. But that this, there had just been this con- this continual thread of people who had worshipped God from Adam all the way to Abraham, and that Abraham was just a continuation of what had always been. But it sounds to me like there really had been a falling away. Abraham had to be specifically drawn out and taught about God, or maybe maybe the knowledge was there. I don't know. That just um, that was just interesting to me that God would have chosen Abraham out of a line of idolaters, of false god worshippers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's part yeah. of the narrative is God saying, "Hey, look, I chose you, not because you were awesome, but just purely because I chose you, and it's my grace that makes you special, not you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and He's reminding Joseph, not Joseph, Joshua is reminding everybody, says, put away the gods. Uh, Let me read that specifically. Verse 14. uh, Now for fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. I'm wondering, I mean, I know that in in the future that Israel would fall into idolatry again. This almost sounds to me like there's some of that already starting to creep in. Yes, because mm-hmm. he says that again. I mean, there's the yep. famous verse. Go ahead, Karen. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, down in verse 23, he says it again. Yes. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Yes, mm-hmm. because this is the famous verse, and we've heard this in other contexts too. Uh, it's it's verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the idols, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes to choose this day whom you will serve, you know, whether it's those other gods or as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've probably seen that on a doormat or a wall hanging, you know, in a in a home decor store or something like that. But it was really interesting is that he says, you know, look, we're going to worship God. And they all say, we will, too. He said, well, then you need to put away the other gods. Like, yeah. I see your lips moving, but I don't see your hands doing what your lips are doing. I, that's how I read this from Joshua. They're all like, yeah, we'll do it. He's like, well, then you need to act like it. Yeah, 18 and 19, 18, they're saying, oh, yeah, we'll do it. And he's saying, you can't. You can't as, as long as you have these, these other gods in, in your houses. As long as you are trying to serve anybody else, you cannot serve our God. So don't don't try to tell me that you're going to do it uh, when you're when you're not, you know you you just you can't. That's the way he puts it. You cannot serve him. They fall they fall into this multiple times. You know, not to jump ahead or anything, but you see that with Elijah and against King Ahab and all the representatives of Baal. Same thing. You got to decide who you're going to follow. If God is a the true God, then follow him. But you need to make up your mind because you can't serve them both. And he goes so Speaking far as, of modern day society, hello. Right. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's a little close to home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even today, we have to think about that. We can't. Uh, 
you really can't serve God if you keep your focus on other things, just like we started out today talking about things that we're thankful for. And every one of us was like, I am thankful that the distractions have been taken, are getting taken away. And, yeah, to be uh, clear about that, that's not a fun process. Just in case your distractions are still there and you're like, I wish they would go away. It's essential, but it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone would do it voluntarily. And that's, that's why, especially in our spoiled modern world, I think that's why it requires external circumstances to push us to it. Because it's, I don't really know well anybody who would voluntarily go, you know what, I think I'm going to set aside the ideas that give me the ideas that give me security and the things that give me a uh, sort of casual enjoyment. I think I'm just going to set those aside until I have nothing left. That, that's not voluntary. <laughs> yep. Now he, he says that, okay, when they say, no, no, we're going to do this. We're going to follow God. And then he comes back. It's okay. You guys have just made yourselves witnesses against yourselves by, by, by proclaiming this, you have put your in, yourself into a position where it is going to be very vital that you follow this. Yeah, I pictured him basically saying, okay, say it slowly into the microphone. We're going to play this back later. Yep. And uh, so don't, for, don't forget what you said. So, And he this sets up a stone. Important. I mean, literally here at the end in 27, and Joshua said to the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. It has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us, which that was very interesting. It's like this stone heard us all say this. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you. I thought, man, that's that's pretty powerful. I mean, because if a stone hears it, it's I don't know how that works, but it's not likely to forget it, I guess. You know, it's just, it sounds pretty well, permanent, I guess, is my point. Yeah, probably not literal, just intended to when people see this, they're going to remember that you said that. That's yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the end of it. I mean, we're told that Joshua dies. He's 110 years old. Uh, the bones of Joseph get buried here. You remember way back before they left Israel. Well, yeah, Egypt. not just before they left Israel, but before Israel really started becoming a thing in Egypt. That Joseph said, "Don't bury me here. Bury me. I want you to bury me with my with my uh, with my family, with my ancestors." And uh, so he gets, he finally gets buried. And the very last verse is that Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. So we have a lot of things changing, a lot of things happening. People who have been established, have been in, I guess you call it power, are, are, well, they're dying. And, and the, 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 the power dynamics are all going to start changing by having different people in charge of things. And that essentially finishes up the book of Joshua. So next week we'll start into the book of Judges, and there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stories in Judges. So what are we going to cover for next time? We will go through chapter five. We'll finish up with the Song of Deborah. I think there's going to be plenty of things for us to talk about, interesting stuff. Uh, seeing how the nation progresses now that they're. Uh, well, now this will be after their second leader has died and they're moving on and come getting into a whole different way of life now. I mean, this is a people who have been, they've been nomads, they've been traveling, they've been having to conquer things, and now they're going to get to start settling in. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting 
progression of things to look at. While you wait for us, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Please send us an email. I want to hear from people. Uh, look for us on Facebook. Remember, I've said I'll put that map up uh, on our Facebook page so that you can see how all that laid out. Please share the podcast with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe so that you get to us. You get to hear us each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Ouch. <laughs>